and it was just a great continuation of the character of Grogu, who is becoming a lot more than just a cute puppet. Welcome back, Basement Binge listeners. This is Harrison here with another Mando Mini. It's a little late because of how busy I've been, but the Medicare busy season is over. It ended on the 7th, so we're finally back in it with, of course, the Mandalorian episode that you're listening to and a bunch of other things that I'm finally going to be able to have some time to do. I appreciate your patience. But yeah, Mando Mini. Let's get into it. Chapter 14. This is... I think the sixth episode of season two. Anyway, let's get right into the spoiler wall. So this is the spoiler-free reaction to the episode, what I've thought about it. And let me just say, this is the episode I've been waiting for. I've enjoyed the entire season, the entire series I've been loving, but so much, especially this season, has been building up and building and building and building, and I've been waiting for all of it to be... Um, brought back in you know the payoff i've been waiting for the payoff of everything that they've been hinting at and revealing and of course not it's not all that stuffed into one episode but it's the start of it and it's it's handled so well and it's done of fun and it's exciting to finally be a part of it on top of that all the things we're used to with the mandalorian we've come to expect great music great visuals great star wars the mandalorian baby yoda all of that it's just great and if you've been a part of these episodes, if you've been listening and to the hypothesis, it's exciting to have some of those questions. What about this? What about that? To no longer be... To, that, they're, that they now have answers. But anyway, I don't want to say any more. If you haven't seen it, haven't seen it yet, go watch it. If you want to keep it spoiler-free, don't listen to any more. But other than that, we're moving on to spoilers with the very next segment, Two Cents. So we finally got our director reveal, obviously, at the end of the episode. Pops up Robert Rodriguez, which was great. I immediately knew who it was. Director of Alito Banjo Angel. You guys know that I love that. Alito Armory, true. So it was, it was exciting to see his name, especially working with Disney. It's good news, hopefully for the Alito sequel as well. Um, but it turns out, that Robert Rodriguez wasn't a first pick. It's actually because John Favreau, the showrunner, the producer, had like a last minute need for a director and him and Robert are good friends. So he called him up and Robert was like, sure, I'll complain Star Wars Universe. And there's a great interview that I'll link in the show notes that is just a ton of fun hearing Robert literally just geek out about how excited he was to be on a Star Wars set and to really create and have fun in that universe. And it went and made a great episode. He was a great fit for everything, for the action, for the sequences. It had the Robert Rodriguez flair for good and bad, but it, it was good. It was handled really, really well. And knowing his style, I thought he was a great director because actually I was on a separate podcast. One of the ones that this episode was delayed is because my good friend, Matt, I was finally able to get on with him and Rob for their Mandalorian episode. So if, if you haven't heard of Matt Goes to the Movies, he's a good friend of mine. We podcast together every once in a while. So go check out his episode. I'll link in the description. Matt Goes to the Movie. The three of us got together and talked about the Mandalorian episode. It was a ton of fun. Um, but what, one of the things we were saying was that th- this episode, it, there isn't just like an action scene. It's like the whole episode just has a huge chunk. This is a to just well-paced action. And Robert Rodriguez was a great pick for that. 
So it was exciting. It was just exciting to get the direct reveal. I don't know how I would, if I would have known it would have been Robert Rodriguez, what I would have been able to pull from it, but it's on just like maybe just some action. Um, but I love that they don't reveal new directors. You know, that would make sense that directors who haven't directed a Mandalorian episode yet aren't revealed on IMDb. It's just the returning director. So it makes me wonder, the final episode we don't have a director for yet. Are they just keeping it under wraps because of that? Or is it somebody who is new? I hope it's not somebody's new. I really hope it's Bryce Dallas Howard's because I've loved every single one of her episodes. Everyone that she's directs is one of my favorites, especially visually. And I just am really wanting some of that back again. I just think she's a great director for the Mandalorian. Um, but yeah, into the actual like episode episode here, it starts and we get a quick recap and seeing Ahsoka with her white sabers again made me realize how sad I am. And I'm not ready to say goodbye to live action Ahsoka. I don't want her to take over this show. It's the Mandalorian. I don't want to turn on the Mandalorian and watch Ahsoka. And some more on that idea later. But I just, I want her to be back. And especially with how this episode went and how it ends, it really seems almost like kind of like a Suicide Squad team up. And I hope that Ahsoka's part of that. We get to see her and Moff Gideon with the Dark Troopers and the Darksaber versus her White Sabers or even the Beskar Pike. You know, I just want her to be a part of that. I don't want her to take it over. Just let her be a part of it momentarily like she was with the last episode. Because I don't want to see her go yet. And, you know, give her own series. That was great. Um, and especially after the last episode, we were hypothesizing, what is this other Jedi that's going to be involved after the scene stone? Um, and I really was talking a little bit about Ezra and how when's Ezra going to show up? When is Sabine going to show up? And based off interviews that I've said, I don't think Sabine's going to be in this season yet, which I think is a good thing. But I also really hope that it's not Ezra. I hope it, it, Ezra is for Ahsoka. Whether the previous episode of the Mandalorian happens before or after the final season or, or the final episode of the Rebels season, it doesn't matter because Ahsoka is the one who's been looking for Ezra. It's her and Sabine's journey. It's not the Mandalorian. And it'd just be kind of cheap if, you know, oh, randomly this Grogu, this baby Yoda showed up and hey, Ezra, I'm, I'm back. I've been, you know, Ahsoka, I realize you've been looking for me. Suddenly this random Mandalorian, this baby Yoda found me, you know, it's not their story. And I just think it'd be kind of cheap. As excited I am as I am to see Ezra, I just don't think that's the way that it should be done. So anyway, on to some other things here in the two cents. Boba Fett and Fennec Shan are both back. I've been waiting Fennec Shan, especially from season one, when I don't know, I've just been waiting for so long. I expected her to come back in season one, and she never did. And then I just kept waiting and waiting for her to come back in season two. And it was such a great callback, and the action was great. And we get to see Boba Fett and all of his bounty hunting warrior glory. And I didn't grow up with the love of Boba Fett. I always thought he was kind of wimp. And although I feel like the handling of Boba Fett is really interesting, it's kind of creating a character differently than what we thought. Um, actually, I take that back. It's, I think it's creating a different character for Boba Fett than what people have created in their minds. Uh, it was exciting to see him, and it made me want to love Boba Fett. So anyway, the Dark Troopers are back. Moff Gideon and his Darksaber is back. All the things I've been waiting for are starting to tie in. This episode kind of cuts it off quick, 
but they're all starting to come together, both the dark side and the light side. If we want to call them that, you know, our heroes and our villains, let's just simplify it to that. And it really seems like it's going to be a big team up and I can't wait. And again, you know, may, maybe even Bo-Katan with her Nine Owls is going to come back. You know, where did they go and are they ever going to be back again? I know that Sasha Banks, who played Koska Reeves, who's the ex-hair lady on the Night Owls with Sabine Wren, or excuse me, with Bo-Katan, said that Chapter 11 was her only appearance. So who knows? This is why I don't read too many interviews. But we're not even, we haven't even got to binge points yet. This is still two cents. I'm still hypothesizing. So this was the most cliffhanger episode ending in the total, like demanding a sequel type thing. You know, Robert Rodriguez, I guess that's just his flair. He's using his magic. And I'm not complaining. It it demanded a, another episode, and I could not wait for Friday to get here fast enough. Um, other things that we love, the, the visuals, there was a moment that just stood out to me when they're flying in the Razor Crest, and you see this stone at the top of that mountain through the windows of the Razor Crest. That was just so well done. It did not need to be that good looking, and it was. Um, other things, when the episode starts, and then we get the, the great title music, and then the title shows up and says the tragedy, I was just preparing my heart for something horrible. And, oh, it was just horrible. Anyway, uh, some other things I want to mention here super quick is I love that seeing this episode makes me feel like Grogu is a lot smarter than I've been giving him credit for in my head. That that he is hiding himself and has to hide himself and his force abilities to survive. And because of the trauma and the horror he went to, surviving Order 66 the way he did. And it's not just that the Force has been acting on him. Um, that he's intelligence. That he's choosing not to use it and choosing when to use it. Um, specifically when he's on the Seer Stone. It, allowing him to choose. Instead of just like plopping it down, let whatever happens, happens. He had to interact. He had to choose. Choosing to be seen rather than just happenstance being seen it wasn't just fate um and he's aware grogu is aware of what's going on and i've been doubting that for a long time and uh and i maybe he will choose to not be a jedi because of his affection for mando and that's okay i like that's totally deserved especially after this episode because he is aware um and it, the other thing that was great is that last episode, Ahsoka wasn't willing to train Gogu because of his attachment to Din. You know, fear, anger, hate, those same things we saw happen so destructively with Anakin turning to Vader. Ahsoka understands, and she didn't want to train him for fear that he would go down that path like we've seen before. And sadly, we see the start of that when Grogu is, is captured. I mean, he even uses the Force choke, which isn't exclusive to the dark side, but it's pretty dark in in the force that you're using there and we see him just lose control and really bring out that anger towards those stormtroopers who are holding him in his cell we see him start to lose his lose his cool because of his fear you know you've taken him away from his father that he loves and he's afraid like he has been so many times in his life and he's going to lash out and it was just a great continuation of the character of Grogu, who is becoming a lot more than just a cute puppet. Um, I've, I love Baby Yoda. And the first season, he was just kind of along for the ride. He, there was no character arc to him. He was, just, he was just 
baby Yoda. You know, he was just there. He was the MacGuffin, a cute MacGuffin at that. But now it's even earlier with the fish eggs. He he's, has intelligence. He has a character arc. He has emotions and he has understandings and awareness and complexities and, and journeys and struggles that he's going to have to overcome. And it's great. So that's not two cents. That's just kind of my knee-jerk thoughts to the film. Let's get into the binge points. Just fun Easter eggs. First one I got to point out is Boba Fett quoting his dad, Django. I'm just a civil man trying to make my way in the universe. That was awesome to see. He said that. That was just great. Other things. Same callback to Django Fett. Uh, Fennec Shan, her outfit looks a ton like Zam Wilson, which is the... Um, I don't remember the exact name. The shapeshifter that's from Attack of the Clones that tries to kill Leia. And... No, excuse that tries to kill Padme, not Leia. Sorry, that's what I get for trying to read and speak at the same time. Um, but it's interesting that Z- Zam Wilson was working for Django, and now Fennec Shan, who really kind of looks like her, is working for Boba. It's just fun. I don't think that that really means anything. It's just fun character design. Um, other things is the attention to detail in letting this empire, whatever it is we're seeing in the Outer Rim, be a, a, a perfect combination of the First Order and the Empire, and how that is really kind of observing the two and, and meeting somewhere in between. Like that troop transport we saw the clones land in in this episode is an earlier version of the atmospheric assault lander from the sequel trilogy. And having that continuity, the vision to have that continuity is, is something that this series really excels at. Um, other moments, fly with the windows down. That was just a ton of fun. We got an Indiana Jones reference with the rolling rock. Um, attention to detail. should have mentioned this when I was talking about that. Um, when Boba Fett shoots the missile out of his jetpack and takes down the troop transports, we see him flip the little visor screen down, whatever it's called, and use it to aim. And there's a screen on it, obviously. And so when we zoom out to that white shot and it shows the troop transports, one crashing into the other, and that's kind of the main focus. If you look at the visor thing still down, there's still a screen on it. It's puny, depending on how big your screen is that you're watching on. Boba Fett's aiming device is still there. And who would have thought to put that in that? Like, just just this throwaway moment and the intention to detail and the level of care to have that much detail is phenomenal. Same thing, having the Darksaber handle be consistent with how it is in Rebels. That's great. So, just so much attention to detail and continuity. And, yeah, other, other details. May the Razor Crest rest in peace. That was devastating. I was hoping that that was the only tragedy we had to deal with. We had to deal with two. And, oh, like, Baby Yoda's going to be fine. I know he is. Because he's Baby Yoda. You can't just get rid of him in the series. But the Razor Crest, like, that's not coming back. And I'm more saddened about that than I'm about Baby Yoda because I just know what's going to happen. They're not going to get rid of Baby Yoda forever. But the Razor Crest, like, I love the Razor Crest. The miniature they had for it looked so good. I love the flying. Mando, Din is a great pilot, and I love the dogfights we got with him and the flying, and that's not going to happen anymore. Maybe in a different ship, but that was just so sad. You know, and and his cool rifle, the thing that vaporizes people, that's gone now too. He just has his his pistol and his pike. Maybe that will make him use his pike more. I don't know. I'm just sad the Razor Chris is done. Other references we got, we got a reference of Spice, which, you know, a lover of Dune here, I'll always respect that. And just kind of like acknowledging the existence of Spice in the Star Wars universe. Which, if you didn't know, Dune influenced that. And obviously, it's not the same. Focal point 
in Star Wars as it is in Dune, but just like the presence of it is fun. Uh, and I love that. Other thing is Pedro Pascal's physical acting is phenomenal. I don't know if it's him in the suit all the time. I know it's more this season than than original. Um, but that one moment where he's digging through the wreckage of the Razor Crest, specifically the brief moment where he's kind of has to scrape off the dust and pick up the best car pike. That was just an intense moment of physical grief and the way he slowly interacted with his surroundings. With his surroundings. It was just great physical acting. I don't know who's in the suit, but the physical acting and the voice acting uh, has to play a big role and it, it fills it very well. I, that moment was just phenomenal physical acting. Um, other great bench point is Django Cannon is finally a Mandalorian. He's a legit Mandalorian. It's been questions for so long, but he is officially a foundling Mandalorian. And what's interesting, it's kind of been a theme, a motif through this entire season is the two different Mandalorian creeds and how Django Fett in canon now is part of the true Mandalorians who was at war with the Death Watch who Din was found by. So they're opposing sides of the Mandalorian conflict. I don't know how invested Boba Fett is in that. I don't even know how invested Jango Fett was that in that because all we've ever seen of them is their bounty hunting and uh, going out like a loser. So it's going to be interesting to see if that opposition in Mandalorian loyalty is going to create any conflict. But as of right now, they're teaming up, which is fun. And... The last pinch point is just my one complaint with the episode. I thought getting rid of Din's jetpack was the cheapest nerf ever. I understand that the Dark Troopers has to succeed at picking up Yoda, and that's fine, but I think something that would have been way more interesting is having Din jetpack up after the Dark Troopers and have it be five-on-one while Din's also trying not to hurt Grogu. I thought, felt like that would have been such a great ending to the episode. Let it go out a little bit more instead of just saying like, oh, I, I can't fly right now. I lost my jetpack. Which, the, first off, the way he took it off, you know, he's like, okay, you put down the gun and Django's like, you put down your jetpack. Like, I, I'd be more worried about his blaster that he was aiming at him. I don't know. And then that he didn't put the jetpack back on when the troops showed up. To me, it made more sense to put the jetpack on and jet back to the top of the mountain and save Grogu instead of running up. I don't know. I just, I thought it was a stupid decision and it really actually quite bothered me. Uh, other than that, this episode was perfect to me, but that moment I was like, why the jet, like, and did he even get it back? Did it just disappear? He just lost it for the whole rest of the season. I have no idea. Or even if he was going up against the dark troopers and his jetpack was run out of fuel and he was just, you know, he was going to do everything in his power to save Grogu and then run out of fuel and at the last minute be saved by slave one. I don't know, but just getting rid of it and just, being nerfed to not be able to fly, I thought was kind of dumb. But that's my one complaint. So on to the last segment, Hypothesize with Harrison, which is going to be a long segment, but I want to keep these Mandalorian episodes mini for my own sanity and the limited time that I've had, but also to get out quickly. Anyway, none of that matters. So let's get into the hypothesis. The reason that it's long is because there's so much to talk about. First, this is a very small thing, but when Grogu was on the Seeing Stone, there and he was meditating and he was connecting and seeing things through the force it looked like grief to me sorrow hurt pain 
that he was experiencing. What was he seeing? Was that part of his memory that's kind of dark that Ahsoka mentioned? Was that coming back to life? Was he seeing the, the suffering that all the Jedi have had to go through and all the, the people in the galaxy have had to go through under the reign of the Empire? Was he seeing loved ones or, or individuals he cares about? Or was it just difficult to use a force? I don't know. But I thought it was a great moment either way. Um, and I just love the inclusion of it. But it makes me wonder, what is he seeing? And was he seeing individuals or was someone seeing him? How, is this a two-way radio? How does it work? I don't know. Does he just project his, his essence, his, his forceness out into him and people can receive it whenever? Does it only at that moment? How does that work? I have no idea. But that grief on his face, I thought was very real. So let's get into what's going to happen. My hypothesis, who's the Jedi going to be really? that is on the other end of this force phone call. And again, I, I hope that it is not Ezra. I, I mentioned that in the two cents, but, but whether this, this episode, Mandalorian, is before or after the final episode of Rebels, it doesn't matter. It'd be lame to have the Mandalorian complete the journey of Ahsoka and Sabine Wren. Let Ahsoka do it. It can be in the live action. It can be in our own series. It can be in a trilogy they make. Just, just let her do it. So now that Ezra's off the boat, and I wish I wouldn't have put so much in that camp for the beginning, who do I think it would be? And my money is on Mace Windu. Now, this is a long shot, but hear me out. Someone that we did not see smuggled Grogu out of the Jedi Temple at the time of Order 66. It makes sense to me that Mace Windu would do that after getting launched out the window. He would be aware that something was going down before anybody else because of the immediate encounter he had with Anakin, with Palpatine, and with the Sith Lord. He would know. He, he knew. And Samuel L. Jackson has expressed continually that he wants to be back in the Star Wars universe. And he's the perfect age to be old Mace Windu. I mean, he even talked to George Lucas and said like, oh, I want to be in the Star Wars universe. And George Lucas was like, yeah, that's fine. You can, you can be alive. So <laughs> whatever that means, you know, just wish fulfillment. But Mace Windu, he was always close to Yoda. Not, not baby Yoda, Yoda Yoda on the Jedi Council. And I thought it was interesting that Ahsoka pointed out that Grogu had many masters. Normally, there's the apprentice and the Jedi master. Anakin wasn't trained by multiple people. He was trained by Obi-Wan. Ahsoka wasn't trained by multiple people. She was trained by Anakin. Yeah, of course, they had other lessons that they were taught by other Jedi, particularly Ahsoka. But the Jedi history has always been the master and the Padawan. And it was interesting. Even the last episode, I thought it was interesting when Ahsoka said many masters. That sounds to me like the Jedi Council that we saw in the prequel trilogy. It would make sense that Yoda, with the uniqueness and, and ambiguity around his species, would closely monitor Grogu, and Mace Windu would be involved. And I think that Mace would go back to get him. If he's alive, which I would like to believe he is, that he would be the one to go get, to get him. On top of that, this is another reason why I want to see Mace Windu come back. He's kind of a dark Jedi. He, he has a purple lightsaber which is for a reason. He is a master of Form 7 or Vabad or Vabad, something like that, mispronouncing it. But it's a, it's a form of lightsaber dueling. And the reason for the perfect say, purple saver is because 
just Mace Windu as a as a Force user and as a Jedi and as a as a lightsaber duelist really taps into the dark side emotions to label them to fill his power with a force you know anger rage aggression he uses that in his light side dueling of the force without falling into the dark side grogu's got a lot of that built up we saw it unleashed on these stormtroopers mace windu would be a perfect master to train a emotionally scarred young grogu how to use that appropriately without falling into it like Anakin did. I think it's perfect. Again, Samuel L. Jackson has expressed his return to the galaxy far, far away. He's tweeted about it. He's talked to George Lucas about it. And coming back would be really, really interesting. Samuel L. Jackson has a pre-existing relationship with Disney. He's kind of a big name, and that would be... He's also a love character, Mace Windu. And that would draw a lot of people to Disney+. Plus. So from a business standpoint, it also makes sense. But to do that at the end of the episode, like with only two episodes left, that's a bit of a stretch. But all of this is, you know, we've got two episodes left. If it's following the history of the last episode, that's an, roughly a little over an hour of, for both. Hopefully the episodes are longer than the 30 minutes that they have been. But that's a lot to wrap up. So Mace Windu coming back, I think would be great. It would also be a really interesting encounter between him and Boba Fett, and I'd like to see that. If it's not Mace Windu, I think that Cal Kestis from Jedi Fallen Order would be an even better fit, would be the second best fit. I haven't played Jedi Fallen Order, but I've done lots of research, and because the story sounds really interesting, and I'm hope and I, I believe it's canon. I'm hoping that it is, and that Cal Kestis, he would know about Grogu, who was also a Jedi a Padawan in the Jedi Temple at the time of Order 66. And he had to survive. He was one of the few that survived. And that trauma and that that's fear caused him to hide his force identity. And he was kind of on his own, exactly like Grogu, because of the fear, hiding his force identity for his survival. And then when Cal Kestis' force abilities are, are brought out, he kind of goes on this journey of fighting the Inquisitors and, and individuals trying to collect and, and destroy Force users and has a desire to rebuild the Jedi Order. He wants to do that. And Mace Windu, Cal Kestis, they were part of the Jedi Order. There's training that they can provide that somebody like Luke, who was never a part of the Jedi Order, in the prequel f- f- idea of it, you know, a, a, a Jedi Temple, I know that he had his own Jedi Academy, and I know he's read the Jedi texts, and I know that he's a, he's a very powerful Force user, Luke, I'm talking about, but there's an experience that comes from being in that era and that, that way that Grogu was that I think Cal Kestis and that mutual experience they have of having to hide their Force ability would be a good fit. On top of that, Moff Gideon is kind of like an Inquisitor, and Cal Kestis is not a big fan of them. Um, I know that at the end of the game, he was searching for Force-sensitive children because he wants to rebuild the Jedi Order. But the game starts around 14 BBY, which is about five years. Oh, just kidding. Is my math right here? Yeah, so 14 BBY, which would make him about 40 at the time of The Mandalorian. And Luke... So The Mandalorian starts at 9 ABY. 
Cal Kestis, the Jedi Order, starts at 14 BBY, so he'd be about 40. But Luke starts his Jedi Academy at 15 ABY. So, I mean, maybe it could be Luke and his encounter with Grogu and whatever happens, or Grogu reaching out to him in the Force six years later causes Luke to really start up a Jedi Academy. Who knows? If it's not going to be somebody there, could it be from somebody from Legends that we don't know? You know, John Favreau and Dave Filoni have been doing a phenomenal job at pulling them in. They're, they're really good at that. Could it be Yaddle? who is the only other individual of Yoda and Grogu's race that we've seen. She was on the Jedi Council and left before the Clone Wars. You can see her in the Phantom Menace. Um, But she kind of left because of differences in ideology. It would make sense that someone, again, of the same race would be close to Grogu. And maybe she came back and was aware of something with Order 66 and saved him. So who knows? Now I think about that, that'd be kind of cool, but... I don't know. I think Mace Window would be cool. This season has kind of been a lot of introducing characters we love, but in a in a balanced way, and I just think Mace Window would be a good pick. So either way, whatever, whoever it is, Mace Window, Calcasus, Yaddle, somebody from Ledges, Luke, nobody. That's a lot to introduce and wrap up in two set episodes. And so I found this quote from, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Giancarlo Esposito. Uh, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, who plays Moff, Moff Gideon. In an interview, he said, we're living in a universe that is huge and there's so much to explore. So I think this show is going to be, to lay the groundwork for the depth and breadth that's going to come in season three and season four when you're really going to start getting answers, which makes sense. You know, the Mandalorian season two has been expanding that groundwork and it would make sense that season three and four is where it really starts to capitalize, but I hope not because I don't want to wait. I'm impatient. It's exciting, but that... They've done a really great job in not making anything bloated and not being too overbearing with a fan service or anything like that. And I think it's been really well balanced. Some people may disagree, but I just think it's incredibly balanced. So I don't think it's going to be too bloated for the last two episodes. But either way, even without introducing a Jedi character who responds to Grogu's on the scene stone, there's still a lot that's been hinted at and, and started in this season that you can still tie up. So there's a lot. But this brings me to one other thing that I, a theory that I think is great. I am not going to even begin to take credit for this idea. Someone else came up with it somewhere on the internet and eventually came to me. <laughs> I think it's genius. And it's the idea that Din is going to have to remove his helmet and reveal his face to save Grogu. He's going to have to be willing to give up his past for his new future. He's not a Mandalorian bounty hunter anymore from Death Watch. He's something new. He's kind of a father almost. And you can tell he cares so deeply about Grogu. You know, and having to take it off is like to be like an officer, to impersonate an officer or something like on that Imperial cruiser to get in, do some little espionage, you know, it'd be really it'd be a really great arc to him as well. This season has had a lot of opposition and hints towards the broader history of Mandalorians and Mandalore with the Death Watch and the more true Mandalorians and how he's kind of that that cult loyalist group that to him saved his life, but maybe he's realizing the fault in it because if you don't know, the Death Watch were kind of the bad guys of Mandalore. Um, They're kind of extremists. So, I don't know. It just would be amazing in his arc to allow him to give up 
is passed. Now, I'm not saying that I want him to take off his helmet forever. As soon as he's done with that, put it back on. Protect yourself. Protect your identity. Protect your head because it's Beskar. And also just have the cool Mandalorian helmet. And I love that they don't ever take it off in this series. And even if he has to to his arc, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that it doesn't ruin the continuity of having his helmet always on. Even if he decides that the Death Watch is a little extreme, let him keep it on. It makes it, it's good. It's a good story to leave it on. So, yeah. The episode with Bo-Katan telling him that he was a child of the watch, that could mean a lot more. Um, you know, Boba Fett saying that he doesn't take the creed and he give, doesn't as li- give his allegiance to anybody. So, we'll see what's going to happen. Two episodes to wrap up. I'm really, really excited. Friday's coming soon. We're going to find out. Hopefully, he's got his jetpack back. Obviously, he never showed it. What's going on there? Hopefully, he gets a jetpack. The other thing I want to point out, Boba's reaction to the Empire is interesting. And I'm glad I checked my notes because I said I think I said this earlier in two cents where Boba Fett in this episode is a very very different Boba Fett than than the fandom has kind of created Boba Fett to be in their ideas and maybe in the extended universe I don't know I've never looked into that but just kind of the concept the the general consensus of who and what Boba Fett is he's kind of a uh, he's not a good dude N- not in the episode I'm talking about kind of like the ideas that have been connected to him, that he's just kind of a bounty hunter who's willing to do anything for the highest pay or whether it's the Empire or somebody else. But his reaction to say they're back and to kind of be surprised by the Empire is interesting. I, I think that it... I think the character that I've understood Boba Fett as, I think that he is a loyal individual because of the, the, the uh, creed that he lives by instead of taking somebody else's creed. To make his way in the galaxy, he may do some not great things, but he does have a creed where he is loyal. We even saw him loyal to Jabba the Hutt, and I think that that goes beyond just like a good pay. I think that there's a level of loyalty when he does work with somebody, when there is some type of exchange, like we're seeing in this episode. So I think it's pretty on brand for Boba Fett, um, but I do hope that we don't just turn him into a generic good guy, that they let him be a bounty hunter, because that's what he is. Um, he's just a simple man trying to wake, make his way in the, the galaxy. And so the idea that he doesn't like the Empire is fine. Just because he's worked for them before doesn't mean that he is the Empire. He's a bounty hunter. So sometimes bounty hunters are good, sometimes they're not. It's really interesting. But either way, that's the end of Chapter 14, The Mando Mini. It was a little late, but it was so much fun to research. It was a ton of fun to watch. It was a ton of fun to be on the mat goes to the movies episode go check that out again linked in the show notes um these podcasts have been so fun it's fascinating to learn about the richness of star wars there's so much out there beyond anything that i ever imagined and it makes so many moments in the mandalorian in the all the star wars there is that i've watched thinking about those moments with the new information makes them that much better and star wars is just a rich history um and I'm loving it. I'm loving The Mandalorian. We got two episodes left to re- let it wrap up. We're, see- we're going to see what's going to happen. And we're going to talk about it. So subscribe for more Mando minis coming. And also subscribe because now that work has finally decreased for me, there's going to be a ton of exciting scene happening. So get subscribed for all that. Anyway, my name is Harrison. This is The Basin Binge, your Mando mini episode. That's all for now. Ciao, ciao.